Capitalism saved me. Paralyzed, unable to take care of my family and was let go of my job. It was through investments that I had uh, bought that I was able to financially survive and take care of my wife and four children. And I got thinking about it as I had a lot, a lot of time in the hospital. I really started to, to take notice of what has gone on over the last 10 years. Capitalism is not a political structure, everyone. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Saving Capitalism. And I have got a whole bunch that I want to talk about because getting started in business and growing, there are themes and there are things that basically always reoccur. Now, uh, before we get into that and talk about the different levels that you're going to go through, the different levels of starting a company to becoming a midsize and growing to a large company, I want to first set the stage and as well as welcome everybody to the new year. I want to remind everybody here, Saving Capitalism um, podcast and what it is and what it means starting the year off fresh. Now, all of you that are my uh, loyal listeners that listen a lot because we have a huge amount of you guys, uh, I just want to say thank you. Um, thank you very much uh, for listening, for giving me reviews. I don't have sponsors here. I don't. Um, this is simply for me to share my information. And that's why I'm doing that. That's what Saving Capitalism podcast is about. Why? Because capitalism saved me. And it saved me when I had become paralyzed, unable to take care of my family and was let go of my job. And it was through investments that I had uh, bought that we had been investing in real estate, self-storage facilities, commercial real estate, that I was able to financially survive and take care of my wife and four children. So capitalism saved me. And I got thinking about it as I had a lot, a lot of time in the hospital and as well as going home and being uh, stuck in bed, unable to walk, being taken care of by my wife and uh, my brother who moved in with us to take care of me. Um, I really started to, to take notice of what has gone on over the last 10 years. And uh, I think there has been a big problem with how not only capitalism is viewed, but um, what is happening. And that big problem is very simple to me. There are two sets of groups. There are people that participate and people that don't. And you save capitalism by allowing more people to participate. Capitalism is not a political structure, everyone. And this is important to realize. It is an economic way of running things. That's it. And the really, if you look at it, uh, capitalism varies widely across lots of different countries, uh, including the U.S. But at the end of the day, it's just a buzzword that I think people use and abuse, make it into some weird political thing. Capitalism at its core to me is an economic system where everyone benefits. Now, in the past, most people just focus on one aspect of that, and that is the consumer end of it, meaning that uh, capitalism has helped allow goods, services to be brought to the masses. Now, when we say consumerism, a lot of people think that's a bad thing. That thinks, you know, you're what you're buying at Christmas. But we're also talking about everything from water to medicine, right? We're talking about basic functions that we need to live. And capitalism changed the world. We reduced 80 plus percent, 85 percent of extreme poverty throughout the world in literally 100 years, right? The effects of it were so mind-blowing. We, we doubled the lifespan of people. Um, in, 
uh, infant death rates just cratered. It, it, it is wild when we take our perspective out of a 10, 15, 20 year or one person's lifetime, which is not a long time. I know we like to think that the sun revolves around us and the world and everything else, but it really doesn't. It doesn't. I learned that the hard way. I realized, man, I'd die and everything would just continue as normal. Uh, as I sat on tubes, everything, nothing skipped a beat. It never would. Which I understand that's a duh, but basic thing. You don't understand it until you really see it. And it doesn't bother me. I didn't, it just was this realization, right? And uh, how finite time was. It, it, it really made me think about things differently. Um, how important yet at the same time insignificant I am and that frame of refer reference on it changed everything that I do so when I decided I want to take on investors basically I was saying I need to give other people the opportunities that I had to be saved and that's what capitalism allows it allows you to own and manage capital no matter how small no matter how big and it allowed me to do that right so I could not only survive and live the way that we did everything else, but I could thrive afterwards because I could be in charge. I could make decisions. I could allocate things. And I just wanted to give that with everybody else. So to set the stage, saving capitalism to me is that everyone participates in it. And I don't mean participate in it just from the consumer stance. And that's the big change because prior up until what I would say the last really 50 years capitalism's focus was on that right it was on the huge vast sums of goods and services that were being delivered the life expectancy of people increasing the amount of people we could save the quality of life which is unrecognizable at this point the number one problem that I believe we have in America is that we don't understand I truly believe that our working hours to give any idea, people think that we are worse off than our parents. First of all, they say homes, but our generation has more homeowners than they did. So the numbers and the data behind what the themes that people generally accept as truths, when I start to uncover this, I, I start to question all of these themes that are going around society, right? First of all, the idea that capitalism has made things bad. Please, I, I need to understand. It's not that capitalism's perfect. I, I don't even think that. There is no such thing as a perfect system because we are completely imperfect. But in comparison to anything else, the amount of good is mind-blowing. The amount of information we've obtained, the amount of social progress we've had, it's, it's nothing. It, it, like, it's just you can't even recognize our world from four or five generations back because of all of the good. Violence, wars, it cratered down his we've never seen in the history of the world this kind of stuff so that was the overall driver and past generations they knew it because they saw it but the last generation or two and the new one especially coming up they have not ever seen hard times now you're gonna get upset and say we have seen hard times that is only hard times based upon your limited perspective I understand how spoiled and cushy my life is. Trust me, I get it. I understand how all of it is. When you look at the past and what we lived like on a day-to-day -day life, even a hundred years ago, 
most people uh, just would absolutely not be able to function in today's society. Most people. And that is a truth. I'm speaking of that from me as well. The things that they endured to get minute gain in their life was life and death to get minute increase and better position. And they were willing to risk everything. Theirs and their families' lives. We do not have anything like that today. We've never seen anything like that. Now, are there wars? Are there bad things? Of course, yes. But two, what you see on your screen is so vastly over-exaggerated by the real reality of the situation. The percentage of people that die in wars today or is at like all-time historic lows. Just nothing compared to what it used to be. Nothing. The, the world was in continual war. Countries had to raid for basic survival things like food, resources, people. This, the, the world almost entirely functioned off of slavery. Every country. There's never been a continent that was not built on the backs of slaves. Native Americans were big into slavery. This is not something that was not only viewed as bad, but was it Plato? Uh, Plato or Socrates believed that it was the natural way of life. They enslaved everyone. It didn't matter who it was. It wasn't a race thing, right? That was just the natural order of things that everybody accepted. Now, this was a few hundred years ago. This was 200 years ago. This was so historically speaking close and when you take a, a perspective and you really go out, it, what we have to be grateful for uh, is so mind-blowing. Now, this is coming for somebody that realizes, okay, life sucks. We have a lot of problems. Trust me. Um, I deal with pain every single day of my life. And I will probably for the rest of my life. I will never wake up on my own. I will always wake up due to pain. I will never function normally day to day. Uh, the only reason I'm alive is due to the meds and things that I can take that keep me moving. Um, other than that, I would have died originally, but I would be living in perpetual uh, state. I'd never leave the bed and my life would suck. I would, yeah, it just wouldn't work. And uh, I look at this and I realize how many people have bankrupt the wars how many people struggle day to day that are victims of everything from violence and sexual abuse? And the list goes on and on and on. I am not unaware of these things. And two, I am not unaware of the problems that we face as a country or anything else. And two, let me be clear, capitalism isn't a political thing. So please don't misconstrue that. Um, that's not it. Now, I am aware of these challenges. Don't think that I'm just somebody that lives in a bubble or anything else like that. In fact, it's the opposite. I'm actively, I'm trying every day I wake up to work to try to do my piece and try to help and solve them. Um, and that's why I started my companies. I didn't need to. There was no reason for me to allow investors to come along. We had no investors. We had all our money. We did it so other people could participate in the same thing that we did. That's it. And so saving capitalism to me is that Capitalism changes from a consumer focus to a participation focus. And that most people participated economically through ownership and things in a normal functioning society 
meaning that they had a farm or they had to do something. There's trades of goods and services, right? Now, today, with the current structure, the asset portion of it um, is, I think, vastly skewed, obviously. And uh, most people view only consumerism and not participation. And we want to change that. And that's how we save capitalism for the whole world. More people participate. That's how you save it, because it benefits more. Now, with that said, everybody, that's my kickoff to the new year. I want you to understand why I'm doing this. This is my own personal thing. I'm here to share my knowledge with you. Okay, I'm here to share my experiences with you. I am not the smartest person around, even remotely close. In fact, there are some areas that I feel so unqualified to speak on, I wonder if I should ever even open my mouth. Now, what I'm doing is I'm sharing with you my experience because of this. I realized that when I got started and when we were trying to grow our businesses, when I had to look at everything, and even today, the biggest thing that prevents us from doing starting up, investing, owning assets, all that, is the lack of context and understanding of how. Why? Because we don't know. You can't see it. You don't understand it. Now, this used to be a big deal, and that's why it's so important to me. Why? Because there were no podcasts. There were no nothing like this. I didn't hear from people. The reason it changed my mind is I sold insurance group medical with my dad, and I got to talk to business owners all over, hundreds and hundreds of business owners. We uh, manage big, small, Fortune 500 companies down. And I got to see from their perspective, and I got to look behind the curtain, so to speak. And that allowed me, I truly believe, to be successful. So it was exposure. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give you exposure to my experiences, what I get wrong, what I get right, what has worked in the past, what hasn't worked in the past. And that way, you too can see and understand that you can see and not be told or simply kept out. That is the biggest hurdle for success. It is not money because no successful person has the money they need. This is such a hard concept for people to get. The money that I have today is not how I will get to next year. I need infinitely more money than I have. And that is how it's always been. The economy doesn't work like that. Jeff Bezos isn't worth $100 billion, 300 or whatever, $100 billion because he had money that was $100 billion. No, it's because there's a trillion dollars plus that this guy has access to and leverages and is created in value. Important piece, money is not finite. The proverbial pie doesn't exist. It's the stupidest thing that anybody said that somebody's taking more of a piece of pie. If that was true, we would never grow money or GDP. It doesn't make sense. That means there's limited resources. That means you could have never gone from 10 million people, right, to 10 billion people. I know we're at 7 billion people. But the point being is that money is not a set thing. It is created, and it is not created through just a printing press. Money backs up exchanges and demand. That's it. Talked about that on a podcast for a long time. You can go back and listen to that. 
Now, that means it fluctuates all the time. That's why we have recessions, depressions. That's why we have inflation, so on and so forth, because the money supply is growing and shrinking and people are buying and demand is always changing. It's an always moving thing, but rich people don't use just their own money and that's how they make money. That's not how it works. So limited resources is always a problem to everyone. My dad famously told me, you will never have enough money. Now, people look at that and say, that's a horrible thing to say. You should just be content and happy with what you are. And they're missing the point entirely. It's not that he's saying you won't personally have enough money to be happy or anything else like that. There will never be enough money to be able to do what needs to be done and what you want to do. Yes, you can have enough money if you just hoard it to yourself. But even that's a problem. Why? Because money isn't a set thing. That means $100,000 in the 1440s meant you were one of the richest people, right? That is no longer true at all. So once again, money isn't meant to be stagnant. That's not how it works. And in order to achieve and do what you want, you will have finite resources and always will. It will never get end. It'll never be over. Stop making it a negative thing and stop thinking like that. All right. With that, when you guys, when we're starting, remember money's not finite. We have resources. You need to understand and see behind the curtains. You need to create and grow. And as you create demand, as you build in, as you buy assets that will be successful and they will appreciate, right? That is how you attract wealth. It is only about serving other people. That's it. So it means that if you have something somebody wants, right, then they will exchange. Now, there's certain things that people don't see, especially when it comes to scale. And that is how much it takes to deliver things to the market. That is how much time and resources and then your end actual net profit. Lots of companies actually grew and imploded and they became billion dollar companies only to learn they were never going to become profitable, right? That was famous with tech companies, especially back in the early 2000s. Now, that's weird as we think about it. Why? Because we think about things because we're trained to by the economy. We are given a paycheck, we have our expenses, and what's left over we get to use. That should just be how the world works. There's nothing else because we don't see anything else. We don't know. Behind the curtain, that is not how anything works at all. That is not how money functions, okay? You don't grow in net worth by just accumulating savings. That's not how it works. You need to reframe your mind. And when you're building a business, you need to understand that. You need to look at, as you scale, what goes into delivering that product, service, or thing to the market, which that's all you're doing, anything. I don't care if you're investing. I don't care if you're building whatever company it is. That's the only thing you're doing. And at what point, right, at profit levels and at what point you can either generate how much it is to how much you got to use, the basic things, right, that we're talking about that, wildly most people forget. And I think it's because once again, they don't have exposure, meaning they haven't had exposure in scaling a company. So they don't realize that what they thought, meaning, oh, I can buy this pin for five cents and then I can sell it for 50 cents. This is incredible. This is the best business ever, right? Okay, great. So go buy one pin and then sell that one pin for 50 cents. You make it. Now try to do that with a thousand or enough to make anything meaningful. All of a sudden, the cost to actually distribute that to the market is wildly uh, not that kind of margin. So the next thing that we look at is structure. So you have cost and money right coming in. Now, overall structure, meaning that certain businesses are structured in certain ways and the business model itself has pros, cons, 
and the business model as a function of delivering that thing to the market, those the, those services or or those goods to the market, right, will change the outcome, right? Tech is the best example of a business model, particularly SaaS. Uh, you have the hardware, then you have the software. The reason why is you have upfront cost for with the SaaS product, but the um, uh, the upfront cost at a certain point, right, is generally fixed, meaning that the variable expenses, so as your revenue grows, the expenses don't grow with it. So you have way up, big upfront costs, but then everything after that is margin or just kind of profit. Now, yes, expenses grow as you grow, but it's not even close to the growth rate of revenue. That means you can generate tons and tons of money and you can grow fast, really fast, because of the lack of barriers of entry to get product to the market and the lack of cost to get the product to the market. So you can spend more money on things like advertising and things like that. So then you can scale in the form of speed. How many units can I sell? You can also then scale in the form of money. How much money do I have that I can be using within the business to generate more sales? And that's why companies like Google, Facebook, and others have taken over the world and they own everything. It's That's the principal reason right there. That's the underlying, their business model and the product that they use demand and functionality for the society and how they deliver it to it is way more beneficial than a brick and mortar store. Why? Because I have to build, I have to have the location, I have to have the products in, I have to employ all these people because for every transaction, I can only service so many people. So every time that I do more, that expense load is relatively the same. The margin may increase, but it's not by a lot because all of the functionalities of delivering product services to the market stay relatively the same. Now, when we're looking at a lot of these things, when we're starting out, most people don't think about any of that. They think, I just have a good or a service and I can do that, okay? I call this buying yourself a job or building yourself a job, meaning that I do a good job at this thing. I can sell this to the open market and get paid for it. So I'm gonna do that instead of working in a business. Now, here's the hard truth that most entrepreneurs, and when I say most entrepreneurs, I'm talking about over 85% of entrepreneurs would make more if they went and had a job. Now, that's the successful ones. A fraction, a tiny minute amount of entrepreneurs ever do a million dollars more in gross revenue. And out of those people, most of them don't even have a 10, 15% margin, which means they make less than $100,000 a year. And almost always, they're doing all the servicing, meaning that if it became passive or their money that they made was no longer connected to them to make it, then they would make even less. Why? Because now you have to hire somebody to do the functionality, money comes down. I see lots and lots and lots of franchises like this, the majority of them. They sell you a franchise, but really what you are is you are an employee of the franchise at their location because they take the profit, they get the fees, they take the profit out before any expenses are in and they don't obtain those expenses. You take all the expenses and now you get your, and now you have to work to make sure you can even generate that money to pay the franchise and the profits and everything else. You bought a franchise, but what you really did is bought a job and they're making all the money without the expenses. That's why you wanna be the franchisor, not the franchisee. Some people, by the way, too, it's not even that that's bad. There's a lot of people that that's great because they could never work in a normal business setting or whatever that it just doesn't work for them. So that's fine. That's great. But two, we have to realize that 
out of entrepreneurs and out of biz building businesses, the business model, it, it matters. And when, depending on what you're trying to do and what your goals are, most people actually build the wrong thing. So the levels of business that we have, now we're moving into. First and foremost, we have the startup phase. Now, I am not somebody that generally likes to build products to give to the market that I don't know already has demand. Why? Because what I think and what the market thinks doesn't actually mean that it's correct. Too many people think that what, oh, I want it or I think this is good. That means other people will pay and they'll pay X value for it. That's not true. The market does not care about you at all. The only thing that matters is them and how much they will actually pay. Not what somebody says, but giving you a check. Then how many people are willing to do that? So you either have individual things, which are huge profitability things, you don't do a lot of them, or you have small margin, but you, and you have to do a lot of them to make business work, make your business function. And then there's everything kind of in between. So to give you an example of that, we can look at something like real estate. Real estate is a magnitude game, right? One, piece of real estate, asset or anything else, make, can make a big difference because there can be so much profit that's generated from it. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to do thousands and thousands and thousands of homes or something like that. And if you do, because you can build a system, you're going to be very, very profitable uh, and you're going to be very, very rich. Now, if the other side is the pin, right, or a flower or basic goods and services that have low prices but they may even have better margins, but it doesn't matter because you need so much of them. Now, starting out, most people get this all confused. They think because they like something, the market wants it or will pay for it. They also don't think about everything that goes into on the volume game to sell thousands of them. And so they vastly overestimate what they could do or make. The magnitude game, people vastly overestimate how easy it is because they say, all I need is one, right? But in the magnitude game, you have big people that play. It's really competitive. You also can have huge consequences because the cost is bigger, right? So there is no perfect system. There's business and business models that I like and I think are better. Now to mention though, I play in a lot of these service, so I have service, SaaS products, technology companies. I have obviously real estate. That is my main thing and our private equity portion. Um, and uh, as well as odds and end things and businesses that I own in between, um, including static investments um, that aren't really business, but they're just more pure investments. Now, when I look at all of them, the reason why I have more, all of them generally flow around my core competencies. So I'm not sporadic in what I'm doing. Somebody may say, Oh, well, you just got to do everything. First of all, the things that I all just talked about are all connected to my core business and my core competencies that I'm good at, even though they're different business models, different products, right? And even different customers, they're all the same thing. My SaaS product goes to the people that are buying the real estate in which I buy, own, and run, right? Different product, different customer. The customer is the owner of the business, where and the other side, the business is servicing the customer. But I get it all. I understand it all, right? We're dropping a new um, software product here in the next few months along lines and things of, of the exactly that that I've been creating. Leveraging different types of business models 
different structures, go to market, different margins, one's cash flow, one's cash intense. So it's not sporadic because I have a three stool approach. My three stool approach to creating massive wealth and scaling is first income, second equity, and third is scale. Income is a lot of service-based businesses, which I'm in. Why? Because people pay me for work that I do. Now, the second thing is um, equity. That is real estate, low cash flow, high equity. That's wealth, right? And then the third thing is scale, which are products that can go mass market, large margins, and can grow quickly. Now, there's obviously a risk component along all those lines, but those three things, when I combined, it's like a circular thing that shoots up my net worth. And that's something that I built out roughly 15 years ago in my journal. I still have it today and I have how they'll all interconnect and how they'll all work. And now 15 years later, I'm just starting to actually do and realize it and a lot of mistakes on the way. Now, what I did though, is I took three business models and I'm trying to put them into one ecosystem. When you're starting out, that's not what I did. It was one, just one. And it started out with income, right? Me and my dad, we sold insurance. We got paid from a client that paid us. It was directly correlated with our time. We tried it really hard to do a lot of that to get more cash that we could move into wealth things. Simplicity, something that will protect our money and grow it and give us tax benefits so our margin on the other one, the cash we had, would grow. From there, service-based businesses, right, alongside the wealth-based businesses and then scale. And it's just been a slow thing. It's not quick. And we've we're, we have big goals and we're trying to shoot it for. Now, I've done franchises, okay? I've done gyms, all these other things. So I um, know and understand those business models. And there's things I like and there's things I definitely don't like. And as I've grown over 20 years and as me, my father have tried all these other things and failed at a lot. And uh, I, I wish, especially early on, that I had somebody that would have talked to me about these things and been more open. Uh, a lot of it we had to learn on our own. Now, we went out and found mentors and other people that could assist us and, and help us, of course, obviously, but it wasn't like I had something like this, a podcast. Now, the first level, guys, is cash intense, and it is building frameworks. So the first level, meaning the startup, you have to build everything, the business model, so processes, procedures of how to get the thing and deliver it to the market, that requires cash, time, it's intense and it is slow, okay? Very, very slow. Why? Because without the structure, you can't effectively run a business. You can't figure out what's going wrong. And so you can't optimize it where you can't lower expenses. You can't charge more because you haven't found your target demographic out yet. So you're going really slow and not making a lot of money. Now, the second phase is a mid phase. It means now my structure I figured out, it actually works. I know who my target customer is right? I know my expenses, how much money I need, and how much I can deliver it uh, to the market, get a profit for. I now know returns. And I can do that at a certain level before I have to change things. That allows me to put more money into it and have a known rate of return. This is magic. This is magic, right? This is the thing that starts scale. Because now I can grow it and I can do more. Now, both models, generally speaking, are tied to your time. But these different models are very unique. Model number one, the startup phase. You're doing everything. You're learning everything. It's exhausting. I, I was talking to my employees when we were going down to Texas today. I'm like, I'm done doing that stuff, right? I, I've started up so many. I've 
worked multiple jobs my whole life. I, I'm not doing it anymore, right? So I'm now just buying companies that already have things and I, I can work through that. But the first phase, you're doing everything, you're taking all the risk, you're failing, um, and you got to learn to fail quickly. Figure out what works, what's not, adjust quickly, but it's usually all you, right? So the first phase takes a different person than the second person, a very different person. The second phase, right, now you're including employees that are trying to execute on the structure that you put in place to deliver the thing. That phase, your job is different now. You're working, but you're not doing the incremental things and executing, you now have employees that are working on the structure. So you're still in the business, almost always. You are working on things and helping, but you are now, um, I look at it as one level away, or you are uh, a degree of separation from the customer. So the customer's here, you now have an employee that is the in-between from the business, the structure, and the customer, meaning they're doing things. That could be doing individual ad spend. That can be doing a whole bunch of different things, but it's directly getting things and coordinating with the customer. It's no longer you. Now, the third level, the third level is you've proven it. You've got cash flow coming in. You've got a model. This is you have now three levels of separation. First level separation is employees that are doing the thing, working directly with the customer. Second level is management that is now working with the employees to deliver the customer, right? And you're now on top of that. So this third level is the level of scale, right? This is when you have people that are working on your business for you. They're not even working in your business. They're working on your business for you. Now, granted, this is a level that most people will never get to or reach. And I think there's a few reasons. First of all, the level number one doesn't function right and they're not willing to make changes. They're not willing to look at themselves to say, I'm good at this, I'm bad at this. They're not willing to change. So many people don't like change and aren't willing to change that they're their own biggest problem. Now, those are called feedback loops. You need to shrink them when you're an entrepreneur and you need to be willing to burn everything to the ground if it doesn't work. Just because it's easier or just because you think it was your idea or like it doesn't really matter. The second level, the second level is totally different. The second level, when you're dealing with employees, you have to be a different person now. You have to be a structural person, a process system person that is executing and pulling people together, getting the right people and having them work. The third level, totally different person again. Yeah, you have now, I mean, like totally different. You've got to be looking at this thing from a thousand feet and allocating resources, knowing that certain people can execute. You have to be working on structurals, incentives, management team that are also building for you. You have to trust people to build your company. And then you have to make those people all work together. And now you're very far away from the customer. So all the problems that happen, which I've had huge problems at this level, huge problems. And I worried for a long time that I couldn't be that person. It was something that really strained me. It really drained me. I, I worried that I couldn't ever be that, that, that person. And I, I, I believe now that I can. Um, I'm working on it. I'm doing way better. We're seeing the results. And I believe that I can change for my business and I can be that person so my business can grow and, and th thrive. Because it is different. You need flow of information. I got to be able to see what's happening on the ground make decisions on it, but through other people and work with other people to do that. Lots of times you're too separated from the customer and then management is not, uh, they're not coordinating things. They're not executing all properly, which is all your problem. And then the business just can't do it. 
and what I've seen through level one and two, first of all, level one people go to level two and they don't like it because the people that they have can't do what they're doing. That's what they say. And two, by the way, when you move to second level, the money that usually go into your business or you is going to people. I worked for years, six years plus not making money because I was hiring people instead of paying myself because I wanted something that could grow and scale. Now that causes information, that causes problems that the person that's running the business is like, no, I'm not gonna do this. Why? Because they're short-term thinking and I don't want my income to drop. So instead I'm hiring someone, I'm not gonna hire someone to do it and then I can't work on anything else. Now that same person though that has employees, when they move up to the top, they start to lose control because other people are building for them and they can't have that. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to manage it, right? They can't change and be another person. So the same thing, they don't want to do it and they won't grow. Almost all of it is self-sabotage, right? Now, all of that assuming though that you get from it. I hope this helps you though understand better and see paths of progresses within companies and businesses. Up front, you got to do a lot. You got to build structure, policies, procedures. You got to test, make sure things will work, that you'll lower expenses, that you can actually make money on this thing. And then if that works, you got to start to hire in lots of people to do the executing so you can grow, so you can get margin. All of the sacrifice of you, all of it. Employees get paid first, right? Employees get paid first. They're guaranteed pay. You're guaranteed nothing. doesn't matter if you get paid. If you have a business that can pay you stuff, that's great. And yes, you can try to function. I'm not saying... and telling you to do one way or another, but these are the steps that have to happen. Now, as it grows, right, those things continue to change. How money flows changes, decisions that need to change, your partners, your access to the market changes. So you deal with different problems all the way up. Now, you don't ever have to be level three. In fact, you may want to just buy yourself a job. That's okay. That's not the point of this. The point of this is to show you, and so it'll help you understand from the ground up there is a process and there is also a becoming, meaning you have to become someone different if you want to continue or hire different people. And that's why I love business podcasts. That's why I love sharing my experiences, what I've learned. It's why I've loved certain business models and not because I can learn who I am, what I like and what I can do, and then how to put things in to make it work regardless of my strengths or weaknesses. I want to take those golden nuggets out and say, this isn't a business model I'm gonna do good in, or this is, or I want employees, or I need to work in my company this way. This is my strength, I need to do this. I need to hire someone that has my uh, strengths that are my weaknesses, right? I need a partner, okay, now I need capital. Always have limited resources, businesses always do. That's how it works. You always need 10X, whatever you have to do and grow the business. If you're not growing, that's totally different. But I'm a strong believer, if you're not growing, you're dying. And the reason I'm a strong believer of that is because I actually look at history and I see, and I know how money works and the economy works. So I believe it's true. Now, all of those coming, that's what I'm doing. That's what I wanna do is continue sharing with you guys this year. I wanna teach and allow access. So teach you guys how to do it yourself, share with you my experiences, what I'm good at, what I've learned, what I haven't. And I just want you guys to be able to pull those pieces out and to be able to put them into action. Now, some of those things you may go, AJ, I didn't learn anything here. Great, that's okay, but guess what? I'm sure a lot of people did. And that's the wonderful thing about information. It's not that it should all be good for you. It's not that you should do it in a certain way, but you should take the things that you learn from it and apply them where necessary. That is how you build a business. 
with knowledge, resources, and everything else. There is no one size fits all, no matter what influencer is telling you that, and no matter what course promises you. That's not how it works. Why? Because the economy is changing, everything's changing, and if it could always simply be replicated exactly, uh, it would be obliterated in the marketplace. All profit would be gone. If not, the market's not functioning right. So that doesn't ever happen. Two, it's not a market thing. It's a you thing. You're not that person. So how can you do it exactly? You're not them. Different time, different place, different people, different value, different opportunities, different things. You shouldn't ever do it exactly because your opportunities are different. Even if you say you don't have any, that actually is an opportunity. And, and, and a lot of people don't recognize that. There's things that I can't do today that I could have done when I started out that had huge impact and could really move. And a lot of things that I wish I could that I literally can't, and I actually know it hurts my business because I can't. That's okay though. There was a lot of things starting out that I couldn't do, obviously, today. So take this, guys. We're going into 2024. It's going to be a wild year, guys. It is going to be absolutely crazy, I promise. It's We've got elections. We've got high interest rates, promise of lower interest rates, or not even a promise, but a mention of lower interest rates. Um, markets are going to change fast, and you need to get information. You need to move, and you need to change quick. So keep listening. Go give me a great review, guys. That's how you can pay me back for doing this, giving out my information. It really makes a difference to me. Appreciate all of you, and it's going to be a wild 24, everybody.